0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you from lovely Gilbert, Arizona. Where it's a balmy 77 degrees and sunny today that is going to be different than where zachary green is coming to to us from but uh, we'll get to that in just a second uh if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast tycoons of small biz we are a podcast by small business owners for small business owners so my co-host landon mance uh, we also have some other co-hosts that are going to be joining the program over the next year we're all small business owners Many of us are multi-generational small business owners, meaning that our families have been entrepreneurs for generations before us. And we believe that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner and the small businesses throughout this country. And so we put together this podcast almost two years ago now. We're coming up on our 100th episode. We're excited to have that on April 12th. And we did that because we wanted to have an opportunity for small business owners throughout the country to tell their story and to prop them up any way that we can. So we called this program Tycoons of Small Biz because we believe that there truly are tycoons out there who are running small business ventures the same way that people that run very, very large organizations uh, run those organizations. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon of small biz on the program with us today. We've got Zachary Green, managing partner of Warrior Enterprises, LLC, coming to us live from Cincinnati. So uh, you can imagine he's not exactly happy with the outcome of the Super Bowl this past weekend, but we are excited to have you on the show today, Zachary. Welcome in.
2: Well, thank you so much, Austin. It's just great to be able to see I'm a Bengals fan and not have to be embarrassed anymore. So we'll take what we can get.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, Joe Burrow, I, to- I told people this, uh, you know, the past couple of weeks, obviously, since we knew that, uh, that it was going to be the Bengals and the Rams, Every time somebody would tell me, you know, obviously, you know, I, we believe the Rams will win. They should, you know, they should win easily, whatever. And I said, you know what? Do not count out Joe Burrow. That guy has ice water in his veins. I'm sure you saw he was the last one to leave the locker room. He was dejected. He fully expected to win that game. And he's he's a winner. I mean, you you know. I mean, you're from Cincinnati, from that area. You know he was a winner in high school. You know he was a winner in college. And he will definitely be be a winner in the NFL, you know, and he really has just by one person that's completely revolutionized
2: and changed that franchise. We finally have pride. We have confidence. He's making everybody else better uh, around him. And what he's doing now is drawing people from outside of the Bengals that want to come play here. You know, this was a place that good players went to die. So I think there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of similarities in, in business by having a good business leader that inspires others and things that we well, I'm sure, talk about here over the next half hour and hour is yeah, that importance of, of leadership and not necessarily management.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. And you're right. He, He's one of those guys that just people want to be around, the players want to play with him and, you know, not necessarily for him, but they want to be a part of his team from every position across the field, whether it's on defense or offense, they want to be associated with Joe Burrow. And so I, I, I do feel like the, the future is very bright for the Cincinnati Bengals.
2: All right. I'd like to hear that.
1: Not that it matters what Austin Peterson thinks, but I am a huge okay. sports fan. So I follow it fairly closely. So, let let's get into the business side or actually before we get into the business side, let's talk about you personally. So tell us who Zachary Green is personally. Where did you grow up? What did how did where did you go to school, college? Do you have a family? Do you have any kids? Whatever you'd like us to know about you personally, and, and then we'll jump over to kind of where you are uh business wise today.
2: Sure. So I, I grew up in Cincinnati, lived my entire life in Cincinnati. Um I started a lot growing up. I went to about eight different schools from kindergarten through high school off the charts, learning disabilities, ADHD, you know, went from the private schools to the parochial schools to the public schools, the Montessori school, and it just never really seemed to work out for me. Um, When you have ADHD as a child, it's very difficult. People tell you that you're not going to amount to anything. It's hard to make friends. And it's funny because when you have ADHD as a child in school, it's a problem. But when you get out of school, you're called a multitasker and you're an enthusiastic multitasker. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, this guy's such a great business leader because he can do 10 things at once and he can inspire other people. So I always knew I was destined for greatness. My teachers didn't know it. I knew it. And every time they put me down and hurt me, it would give me that fire to know I was going to prove them wrong and and show them what I was really capable of. I graduated from high school in Cincinnati, uh, immediately enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, uh, while I was in college, also went through both the officer program and the enlisted program. But it was just a funky time in the Marine Corps. where We weren't seeing a lot of combat deployments. Um, we had uh, uh, you know a lot of attrition that was happening with the Clinton uh, uh, cap, uh, administration that was in there. So I decided to get out of the Marine Corps. Um, it's funny, I left because we weren't getting deployed. And I wanted to deploy. I was in the infantry. I wanted to practice what I had learned. But now it's the opposite. People are getting out because they didn't deploy too much. So it's kind of crazy. Two years after I get out of the Marine Corps, September 11th happened. And obviously, that's a day that affected all of us. I'm, I'm newly married. We've got a little uh, young son on the way at this time. And I decided I got to do something. And my wife would absolutely not allow me to get back into the um, Marine Corps. So I joined our local volunteer fire department and at that time my full time job was in sales and marketing and brand development at Eli Lilly and Company big pharmaceutical company and um then i got a chance to to become a, a volunteer firefighter and that's really where my entrepreneurial journey started at that time
1: yeah it's it's funny you know i, I don't know if we talked about this in our pre meeting or not but we we've uh we've got to be married about the same amount of time cuz you know when september 11th happened i had an 18 month old son so we we'd been married about a little over 2 years at that point well actually closer to 3 years i guess and and we had an 18 month old son and it's it's one of those things that you know it's one of those events in life where you you never forget where you were when you heard it you can go back to that memory right away and you know you know all about it i mean i was driving to work we were in california so it's 3 hours earlier it's 6:30 in the morning Not even quite 630 in the morning when I hear about it and I'm calling my wife and waking her up and telling her to turn the TV on. And so, you know, it is one of those things that you just remember so much about that day that you can go back and recall it any day going forward. And it's cool that you took that as an opportunity to get to get more engaged. So tell us a little bit more about your volunteer firefighting and and uh, what that's led to. Sure. So, um, you know, when
2: I worked at Lilly, my favorite assignment that I had there was on the brand team. And when we sell products at Lilly, you know, we're not selling you the chemicals that are in the drug or in the insulin or whatever. We're talking about a disease state. And we're not even talking about curing the disease. We're talking about what are the benefits. So for example, if you have diabetes, um, we're not going to talk about your HbA, C13s or hemoglobins and all this stuff. We're going to say, hey, if you have diabetes, we want you to play with your grandchildren when you're 80 years old. And if you use our brand, we're going to help you get there. And you go through, so it's all about how you create value and how you solve problems. So, in that light, I've always been a big student of building a brand around value, around solving problems. My problem happened, and it was a pretty big problem. Uh, first couple of weeks, I'm in the fire service. We've got a uh, good uh, structure fire going. I'm crawling down the hallway recognizing that if i get to the end of the hallway there's either going to be a staircase or a door there um when you're fighting fire you have to crawl on your hands and knees because if you walk you can fall down the stairs or fall down a um, hole in the wall in the ground that could possibly be there but when you're crawling you use your hands and we use our hands and our tools like a blind person would use their cane swinging it back and forth trying to find openings of a doorway or something you got 80 pounds of gear on you're disoriented and all of a sudden, there's no door, there's no staircase, and I'm like, "Oh gosh, I'm in a closet." I was in a large walk-in closet, and I was trapped. I've got 20 minutes of air left on my uh, self-contained breathing apparatus, and then I'm pretty much dead because you take one um, breath of that black toxic air, it's instant cardiac arrest. You don't survive something like that. So obviously, I was able to go back to my training that I learned the Marine Corps, the training I learned the fire service about getting control of your thoughts and focusing and and concentrating obviously i got out of the building i was pretty upset i mean almost the point of tears and my captain comes over and starts making fun of me he's like hey bro you got to get used to it this is part of the game you know if you don't get used to this you're never going to be in the fire service." and i kept thinking how horrible that was for him to say that to me because if that happened to me that means that happens to everybody else and there's a primal fear of the darkness and so that was the problem so I want to come up with a solution to be able to stop firefighters from being disoriented and losing track of accountability in a zero visibility environment. And I remember when I was in the Marines, we had these little glow-in-the-dark tapes that were on the back of our helmets so we could see each other at night. And I found a way to develop this incredible rare earth elements that went into this special type of photoluminescent pigments, worked with a couple of people that were a lot smarter than me, to put it into silicones and epoxies and different materials started to put it on my helmet uh, a week or two later i go into another fire all anyone can see is the green glow of my helmet as we're walking down the hallway or crawling down the hallway and i start selling out the trunk of my car made you know 20 bucks a pop over the next six months i made about five thousand dollars i would literally just drive to a fire station knock on the door say hey guys my name is zach i'm a firefighter from cincinnati can we go in the bathroom and turn the lights off? And if they didn't beat me up, they usually like, oh, this stuff's pretty cool. <laughs> but the bathroom was the only place dark enough I could show it. And I didn't talk about the glow. Uh, guys, have you ever been in this situation? We're in a bathroom now, but we could be in a hallway. We could be in a basement. And of course, they all said, yeah. And then I said, well, here's the solution. I pull out the glow in the dark material. And I'm like, oh, that's great. So I make 5000 bucks in six months. Meanwhile, uh, Eli Lilly is trying to get me to take a promotion to Indianapolis, which I wasn't willing to do. I ended up taking a buyout and um, went to this trade show. And three days at the trade show, uh, we booked $100,000 in business. Uh, The problem was is I had no money to buy the raw materials. I had no manufacturing capability. I'm with all my buddies that are not business people. These are other firefighters who just want to go to the trade show and get free pizza and beer. And we literally had a soccer tent with sidewalls held together with duct tape and zip tied and cardboard signs. Um, next to us is like Honeywell with their $100,000 booth. And we had a line so deep, it was crazy, but I'm a Marine and we always accomplish our mission. No matter what happens, I refinanced my home, maxed out my credit cards. Uh, I was a big wine collector, sold most of my couple thousand bottles of really nice wine over the next, uh, about 10 years. I grew it into about a $30 million company. So it was um, a pretty crazy journey, lots of ups, a lot more downs than ups. And that really got me to where I am today, which is writing the book Warrior Entrepreneur, talking about all those lessons I learned in the Marine Corps and the fire service and how we can overcome obstacles and crucibles in our business journeys.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, more more downs than ups. Right. And I obviously that was a that was a success story overall. But there are a couple of things that really stuck out to me. One. You went all in, right? So you go to the trade show, you don't worry about what that's going to lead to. You just try to make as many sales as you can. And then you figure out how you're going to solve that problem that you just created. So I can see that obviously coming from your military training and saying, okay, well, we've got a problem. Let's solve it. And you went back and you went all in by, like you said, selling wine, refinancing the house, all those kinds of things. So before we we jump into, you know. What that kind of led to, and and you know the adversities that kind of went through over the or you went through over the next several years. Tell us about how that conversation was with your wife at the time. So
2: it's funny along this whole pathway, she really has been my rock and my cheerleader. My wife is a very successful OGYN, making a lot of money. Uh, that was the whole reason I started the business because I had her to fall back on. After about three or four years, we realized that this business was something special, and we could really blow this thing into a you know, international multi-multi-million-dollar company. She was really struggling with her job being on call so much, being an OBGYN. and she came home one day and said, "Guess what?" And I go, "What?" She goes, "I quit my job." I'm like, "Whoa, wait, wait a second. What are you talking about? You're my backup plan." She goes, "No, there is no backup plan. They're going to do this, and we're going to nail it, and we're going all in." And at that point in time, I owed probably $150,000 to Amex, not me personally, but the company. I was securing it. I had a four hundred thousand dollar lien on my house from the line of credit that we had maxed out, and now all of a sudden, my wife, that was making all this money, decided she's not going to work anymore. And um, you know, nothing gives you clarity like those type of intense moments in your life and focus. I was no longer a, maybe this will work, maybe it was, and you yeah. know, the first couple months it was all about, and eh, it still is to this day. My why is the most important thing, and that's helping my brother and sister firefighters out. However. It gets to a certain point that that why, in order to keep it growing, you got to bring revenue. you got to bring profitability because you're not going to be able to grow that why and touch more people. And what she gave me was that, that focus and that confidence. And during those really dark times where, you know, there was three times we almost had to, you know, as we say in the military, pop smoke. We almost went bankrupt. And she was the one when I really wanted to quit, even though I couldn't quit. It's kind of like when you when you owe money to people, it's like being in a maca you, you can't really get out. You're, you're in there for the long haul. She was always that, um, that calming voice to say, hey, you can figure it out. And, and you know what? I did, and I can. And you can, and all of your listeners can. There is a solution to every single business problem that's out there. The problem is some people may not want to do the sacrifices those solutions require. Lack of sleep, being on the road, having to put your house up, not getting paid a salary. Those are usually the sacrifices that people say, I'm out and I quit. The only way a business can fail, the only way, is if you, the founder quits. There's a solution to every problem out there. Again, it's just sometimes not pretty.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy to me and awe-inspiring at the same time that your wife is the one who said, burn the boats. This is it. I just burned the boats, I quit my job, we're all in 100%. You know, and and I honestly I think as scary as that is, I think that you that drives you even further, right? I I think back to when I started and you know, my wife was a stay-at-home mom when I got started in this business. She had worked before, but she was a stay-at-home mom and I kept thinking, you know, I'm working with all these guys You know, we're just getting started in this business. And so we're working with another company, not my own company at the time. And all these guys have wives that are working outside of the home. They're making decent money, at least, you know, they've got full benefit packages, they've got all those things. And I had none of that. And I kept thinking, gosh, I'm so jealous of these guys that have that safety net. But the reality is, many of those guys ultimately didn't end up being successful in our business. Because they had that safety net. And so they didn't have to drive full speed ahead and make it work no matter what. So awesome. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that
2: is so unbelievably true. There were lots of times I wanted to quit. And, And I talk so much in my book and my speaking about how you can never quit. I'm a hypocrite because I wanted to quit multiple times. But I didn't quit. And the reason I didn't quit is I put myself in a situation where I couldn't quit. You were in a situation where you couldn't quit. Those guys could quit because they had other things to fall back on. But when you create that clarity of that crisis that you're in, because it really is a crisis when you're in those dark days of of your business, Um, you tend to, you know, most people tend to fight best when they're backed up against the wall. And if you're never getting someone backed up against the wall, they're not. So by having her leave, and it wasn't for this reason, but by that happening, that gave me even more reason not to quit. By me over-leveraging myself, and having to take on debt and investors, that was even more reason that I couldn't quit. If I took the easy route that she was still making big money and when it got tough, I'm like, you know what, it's not worth it anymore, I probably would have quit. But I was never in that situation where I would
1: allow myself to do that. Yeah. I and mean, obviously that can create some adversity, but let's talk specifically about some of the adversities that you went through in the early years and how that helped you turn the business into what you turned it into.
2: So that really is the principle of my book, Warrior Entrepreneur. What I look at is the warrior's journey has been the same for eons, literally millennia. Uh, you go back to uh, um, uh, Homer and the Iliad and Odysseus and, and the areas and it starts with challenge. So usually what was interesting when I was a parasitian, arguably one of the most difficult recruit training, probably the most difficult recruit training in any military, Um, the kids that grew up in the coal mines of West Virginia, that grew up in the projects in New Orleans, they didn't struggle that much at Paris Island because they were already had a lot of hardship. Iron sharpens iron. Some of these kids didn't even have a roof over the head. Some of these kids didn't get three meals a day. They loved it down there. They got three meals a day and a soft rack. For me, I was going crazy because I lived in a pretty upper-class family. How my mom laid my clothes out for me my senior year of high school on the edge of my bed. I'm not used to doing stuff for myself. And so for me, I struggled a lot. But as I started to learn to become a Marine and I started to, to build that rhino skin, if you will, it, it prepared me for the, those challenges that ultimately came out down the road. So what happened in this warrior's journey is you have adverse. The non-warrior, that adversity is going to crush them. They're not going to be able to survive for that. The adversity I had in school, constantly getting bounced around from school to school, constantly hearing teachers tell me I'm not smart enough, not good enough, that created more firing. And that's the difference with the warrior. Now, at some point in time, the warrior is going to have a crucible. And that crucible is that crisis of your life where whatever you've done up to that point is not going to get you through it. It could be a death of a family member. It could be a divorce. It could be a drug or alcohol problem. In my case, it was the failure of my business or thinking that my business was going to fail. When you get into that crucible, there's two parts to that crucible. The first part is the abyss. The abyss is the bottom of the crucible. It stands for death. It stands for giving up, suicide, surrender, whatever you want to call it. And the philosopher Nietzsche says, if you stare long enough into the abyss, eventually the abyss will stare back. And What that means is the longer you're in those dark areas, the longer you're around those toxic relationships, you're hitting the bottle, the harder it is for you to get out. Now, to get out of that crucible, you have to respect the crucible that's there, just like you're walking down the sidewalk and a big semi-truck is driving next to you. You know if you jump out in the street, you're going to get killed instantly by that truck but don't let it consume you give it the healthy respect it deserves and keep walking down the sidewalk so for me it was recognizing the abyss which was bankruptcy was giving up i didn't focus too much on it because then i would have been locked up and i couldn't do anything i'm like okay i'm going to do two things these are the two things you have to do to get through your crucible number one you have to transform and change and number two is you have to conquer not not survive you have to conquer your crucible. So what I did to transform and change is I resigned as CEO from the company that I started. Literally my baby that I created, that it was all me, I resigned and hired a CEO. That was the transformation. And what I did to conquer it was I went ahead and I looked back at all these things that I had done, these relationships that I had screwed up because I was being a micromanager and I was so nervous of failing the company that I was failing my employees. I wasn't being a good leader and I made that change. And that really is what, what got us to that next point because once that event happened and I got through that crucible and I became stronger and smarter as a result of it, that's when the company just absolutely exploded.
1: And honestly, I think, you know, we've talked about this, but Landon and I in our day-to-day business, we work almost exclusively with owners of businesses and what you went through and what you did is, I would say the hardest thing for a business owner or a founder to do is to step aside and realize, you know what, there's somebody better to do that part of it. I was the visionary. I started it. I did the hard things in the beginning to get us to where we are. But this person or somebody else is going to be better at taking us to that next level and I can still obviously participate and do things that are very important for the business. But the day-to-day operations of the business, it's better that it's somebody else. And that's hard to do as a founder.
2: So let's pause there for a second and really unpack that because there, that's really deep what you just said. Um, 90% of businesses fail within 10 years. And I would venture the vast majority of the reason that happens is the founder does not get out of the way of the success of the company. And let me explain where this comes into the skill set to start a company is so drastically different than the skill set to run a company a good cpa can run a company really really well because it all comes down to managing cash a good entrepreneur is going to spend more money than they even know where they're going to get it from next a good entrepreneur is going to be the visionary they're going to be embellishing they're going to be talking about the, the sizzle they're going to get everybody excited. But that's not the type of skill set you need once you're up and running, you're growing. So being able to separate those. Another example would be if you've got a child and it's a little baby and you carry it around so much because you're so scared he's going to fall down and hurt himself. Well, he's never going to learn how to walk. The only way you learn how to walk is you fall down. And then if you keep your kid at home when he's 25, 30 years old because you don't want him to worry about the, the bad stuff that can happen out there in the world he's never gonna be a good member of society because you haven't given him a chance to to spread his wings and, and to fall out of the nest, not fly out of the nest. It's exactly the same in the business. And I will tell you, as a Marine that has been involved in the infantry and some pretty horrible stuff, a firefighter that has seen just about everything you can imagine from dead babies to decapitations to burned bodies, like you wouldn't imagine stuff I've seen. Nothing, and I mean nothing, has taken me to my knees harder Than growing my business and running my business without questioning the most difficult thing I've done in my life.
1: Yeah. I tell you, it's, I've said this multiple times, you know, starting a company is not for the weak, you know, or for the faint of heart, I guess is, is the way that I typically put it. And it's, it, it is, I mean, it takes full commitment. You have to go hard. You have to go long. You have to just be in it for the long haul. And be willing to do whatever it takes to make it successful. And that's just not something that's built into everybody's DNA. And that's okay, right? Because every business owner needs people who aren't built that way, but can be great foot soldiers, right? Or great infantry, the way that you you were in the Marines to get things done. But, you know, in, if you're going to start and build a business, you got to be all in and it's it's not an easy thing to do.
2: Well, and there's one word that I think summarizes it all. You don't learn this at your MBA school. You don't learn this at your fancy colleges or whatever. It's called grit. And I will always hire somebody that's got grit over somebody that's got education. Because the person with grit is going to just keep grinding away until they figure it out. The person with education is not always going to take the, uh, they're going to take what makes the most sense. But sometimes you've got to have that founder's intuition, which says, this doesn't make sense. And I I can give you a perfect example during COVID where where this happened with us. When COVID started, so our main business was making exit signs that don't need batteries, light bulbs, or electricity. And we use these big sheets of plexiglass, these four by eight sheets of plexiglass. Well, all of a sudden COVID starts to come in, and we realize, oh man, we're not going to be selling a lot of exit signs because all the schools are closed down, all the retailers are closed down, the office buildings are closed down. But then I started seeing everybody needing to get plexiglass barriers. Well, I'm sitting on all this plexiglass. The problem was is as I started to order more of it, it was getting more and more difficult to get it. And there's this weird law that when you're doing international commerce that you don't own property until it hits customs and clears customs. So even though I bought an entire shipload of plexiglass and I paid for it, they basically voided my offer because I was like paying 80 bucks a sheet and they're like, no, it's 130 bucks a sheet now. And I'm like, no, we have a signed contract doesn't matter it's kind of the same thing with when you're buying oil that you don't pay oil until it hits dock. so we renegotiated the deal where we said okay we're going to buy the next six shipments and we're going to give you a deposit for the next six and we want you to keep our original price now that's not a smart idea because the money that we had to spend was way more money than we could make there was just no way we were going to be able to fill that order but i knew one of two things were going to happen if the pandemic stuck around, we were going to make a lot of money off of those sheets. And number two, if the pandemic failed, I was just going to go out of business. Either way, it didn't matter. So I made that bet. And my CFO about killed me. And a lot of my people on my uh, board and everyone else, they thought it was a horrible idea. But you know what? We hit the jackpot. We became Home Depot's number one distributor of plexiglass uh, uh, barriers during COVID. And it was because of that deal that we were able to negotiate and get that supply chain out that had Every possible scenario, every educated economist and financial planner would say that was not the right deal, but I'm a dumb Marine. I'm a, I got intuition. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I made that decision with my team to do that.
1: And that right there is, is the difference, right? Between a founder and a CEO. They can be both sometimes, but the difference between a founder and a CEO, the CEO likely would not make that decision running somebody else's company.
2: Well, and I can guarantee you, my CEO would never take that deal had it not been for COVID. But when you're, it's interesting when you're in a crisis, all options are available. Um, you will do things that are really not sense that you would never consider, but you would only do that in the event of a crisis. And we were in a crisis; the whole world was, and still is for some life.
1: Yeah, but you took you took the appropriate steps to lean in rather than sit back and be worried. Okay, what is this going to you know what's going to happen? Let's wait and see you leaned in and and did something, right? You pivoted in a way to still figure out a way to to make some money in in COVID and it paid off. And you're right, it could have easily gone the other direction. My absolute
2: favorite quote of all time is from Teddy Roosevelt. He said, when you're faced with a monumental decision, the best thing to do is the right thing. The next best thing to do is the wrong thing, but the worst thing to do is to do nothing. And had we done nothing, we would have been dead. And the Marine Corps, you would get in trouble for not, You would get in a little trouble if you did something that was wrong, but you would get in a lot of trouble if you just didn't do anything at all.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, this is a great chance to take a a quick break. We'll hear a a quick call to action uh, for our listeners, and then we'll come back and and we'll talk about uh, what you consider the three pillars of a successful entrepreneurial plan. Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, we're back here. Austin Peterson here with Zachary Green of Warrior Enterprises, LLC. We've uh, already unpacked quite a bit about uh, his marine background and what it is that uh, has made him successful throughout the years and even during COVID where he kind of bet everything. And so hopefully you've learned some things thus far, but I want to jump in and talk about what you think are the three pillars of a successful entrepreneurial plan. Sure. And, and, and the first thing is, is the word plan always
2: makes me nervous because we always had a saying all, uh, you know, no battle plan ever survives the sh- first shot down range. Or as the great philosopher Mike Tyson once said, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. Um, so, what I look at is there's three things that I look at anytime I'm going to invest in the company, work with the company, try to build a company. The first one is have you solved a problem in a unique and elegant way? At the end of the day, you should be solving problems, not focusing on features and benefits, not focusing on this little shiny whiz bang or whatever, but what is that problem you've solved? Now again, the problem could be, hey, I wanna sell you this widget because you're bored and you don't have anything to do and you wanna play with this widget, or it could be the proverbial better mousetrap. But the biggest challenge that I see with, not biggest, but one of the largest challenges I see with entrepreneurs, they're so scared that someone's gonna steal their idea, that they won't tell anybody about the idea. They focus all their money and expenditure on patents. They're so protective when the reality is, is if you don't let people know about it, you're never gonna sell anything. And that brings us to the second one. You have to have an unfair competitive business advantage. Now I didn't say unethical, I didn't say illegal. it's unfair. So let's give an example of what an unfair advantage would be. Let's go back to a story we probably remember from Sunday school, David versus Goliath. Had David gone to Goliath when Goliath said, come to me, Goliath is so much bigger than him, he would have ripped his arms out and it would have been over with. But what David did is his unfair advantage he knew that Goliath was slow and Goliath couldn't see that well. So he was able to run around and use this sling and take that weakness out of him. Um, Another good example of unfair competitive business advantage maybe would be um, if you invented this paper cup that keeps your coffee warm, and you sold it to Starbucks, and you got a one-year exclusivity with Starbucks. That's a good unfair competitive advantage. What I did for my unfair advantage is as I went out and started selling exit signs, most of my employees were firefighters. So instead of having just somebody to go out there to, to sell something that maybe Didn't know the code as well, or maybe just looked at the slick salesman. I had guys that were coming out there to solve the problem, which is how do you find someone find their way out of that building if the power goes out and that exit sign doesn't work? The third one, which is the most important one, more important than one and two combined, is you have to have really good sales, marketing, and distribution. You can be the most brilliant financial planner in the world. If nobody knows about Austin, you're not going to get any business. You can have every possible solution out there to have the greatest, you know, return on your investment or playing idea. But again, if nobody knows about you, you're stuck. And so back to that first point where you have entrepreneurs who are so scared that someone's going to take their idea, they don't worry about it. What I would tell someone to do is get as many people a copy it as possible. Because that's number one, it's telling you it's market validation. Mm-hmm. Is it a good idea? They're not going to copy that it's a bad idea. Number two is you work on your brand. You work on your distribution. If they can find your product a lot easier than somebody else's, that's gonna help you out. Um, you know, Austin, you and I are about the same age. We probably remember growing up the pet rock, this guy named Gary Dahl. It's the stupidest thing in the world. It was a rock that he put in a box and he sold it and it made millions of dollars. And the reason why is he had commercials, he had on the edge of every toy store so in the checkout aisle, right at eye level for the eight, nine year old kids like myself, he said, okay, we can have rock um play dates and you have your rock come over to Austin's house and play with his rock. Um, Another great idea that's even sillier than the pet rock, water. It's free. Do you know how much money is in the bottled water industry? It's ridiculous. But the reason it got popular was Coca-Cola said, we're going to start distributing it. And now you're able to get that out there. But at the end of the day, it's just water. So sales, marketing, distribution, that's the stuff you really should be spending your time and your treasure on and not necessarily you know, protecting your idea or building out all those other type of areas that, that can be a distraction.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you that that's definitely the the most important because like you said, if the message doesn't get out there, it doesn't matter if you're the most brilliant whatever in the world. Um, nobody knows about you and it doesn't doesn't lead to building a great organization. And, and I would even take it a step further and kind of add on to what you said way early in the program. And that is the difference between you know, just selling about the features and benefits, but actually storytelling and solving the problem with the way that you sell, right? And there's an art to that for sure.
2: And I love the word story because that really is. You tell a story. When I go into somebody and I'm selling a big deal on exit signs, story i share is me being a firefighter and being lost in the fire and the reason why i want them to put myself and themselves in my position which is they're in their office and the power goes out and they can't find their way out and now that story is going to say well hey if the firefighters trust this stuff to see each other you definitely can trust that this is going to work if you had a power failure in the generator
1: yeah there's there's no doubt about it and obviously you know we just have to look at tv to understand the power of of storytelling and, and seeing ourselves in that person's character, right? I mean, I think, I don't know how closely you watch TV or if you're familiar with a show called This Is Us, right? So it's a pretty big show that's out now and it, it tells a story about a family growing up and, you know, there's there's a lot of different aspects and they keep flashing back to then and now and, you know, whatever, but the reason that that show is so wildly successful and followed by so many people in our country and really the world you know, beyond the US is that there's at least one of those characters that every single one of us can identify with.
2: Absolutely. You know, it's funny, I, I've got a chance to go to probably a 1,000 different fire departments over time, and every fire department has the same five characters. Uh, probably not appropriate to talk about them on the radio here, but you know, you got the one silly guy, the one jokester, the one grumpy old man, the one functioning alcoholic, the one so-and-so. It's it's every station's got the exact same group. And just like you said with the the this is us show.
1: So let's dig in a little bit more on, you know, kind of the warrior mindset. Um, you know, you've you've teased us a little bit with that and you know, talked about how you need to have that mindset to build a company, but what exactly in your mind are the traits of a warrior?
2: Great question. So to get through that crucible, you have to train and you have to get there. So there's a couple of things we need to think about. The first one is the importance of teamwork. You can't do this by yourself. The one thing they teach at all branches of service is the importance of the team. The next thing you need to have, as we talked about before, tenacity and grit. And I think they kind of go hand in hand with each other. Another one is the word courage. Now a lot of people don't truly understand the meaning of courage courage is not not being scared i will tell you any firefighter that says they're not scared when they go into a building with fire shooting out the front door they shouldn't be in the service but they have courage because they know that fear is they're going to overcome that fear with either education or training or the trust of the team that i'm going in there to fight with courage is so incredibly important in entrepreneurship and, and again talked about the examples of me having the courage to Put my house on the line. The courage to be able to travel and not be home. The courage to do all those type of things. Um, adaptability, another really important trait. Um, you have to be very flexible. You have to be able to have a plan that you design for. And I'm a big fan of planning, but don't put too much effort in that plan. I don't want to see a rudderless ship where you've got nothing. But you have to be adaptable to make those changes. Who the hell planned? You know, I love this great uh, thing it said. Um, uh, Imagine uh, when in 2019 when people said, Where do you see yourself in 2020? You know, who in the world would ever have thought of COVID or that type of thing happened? But you're adaptable. And that's good because when those crises happen, the people that are adaptable tend to be able to ride that change a little more. Another thing that I talk a lot about is the word chaos. We try to put chaos in order, you cannot put chaos in order. Chaos is chaos, and when you try to put chaos in order, you will fail miserably. You have to ride the chaos. You have to embrace the chaos. The analogy is if you're riding a wave on a surfboard, if you try to stop that wave, it's not going to happen. But if you ride it, it can propel you. So let's talk about that in a business-specific example. When you have chaotic situations, when you have issues with personnel, when you have issues with supply chain, rather than trying to fix that and go back and stop what happened that supply chain, which by the way, you really can't fix that. You have to then ride it out and say, okay, I'm going to accept that my supplier may be out there. so I'm gonna have two or three backups. I'm gonna have some ways or I'm gonna have employees that are trained on everybody else's job. So when that chaos happens, the next person can kind of plug that gap. And then the last two or three traits that I think are really important that we don't talk about a lot and that is um, uh, serenity the mental health toll that it takes to be an entrepreneur is significant. Over 30% of people in the military identify with having significant depression to the point of, you know, potentially suicidal thoughts. The number is over 70% for entrepreneurs. Uh but yet we don't have the wounded warriors and the other type of projects like they do in the, the military. We can't be vulnerable as much as an entrepreneur because then people wouldn't invest in you and they wouldn't follow you so you have to think of those tools of of mindfulness be it meditation taking a walk prayer whatever you want to use mm-hmm. you have to have the connection between your mind your body and your spirit um i'm not saying you have to have religion but you do have to have a belief and there's something bigger a bigger power that's out there um it could be the judeo-christian uh, area or it could just be you know loving nature just having something that just answers those questions that we just don't have the answers to and then then finally, I think one of the last ones is, is love. Um, love is so disregarded, but it is probably the most powerful human emotion that you could have. You have to have love for your mission. You have to have love for your fellow man. You have to have love for your employees, love for this organization and you're there, because that love is what's gonna carry you through during those really dark points. And we tend not to think about it, because if it's not fun and we don't love what we're doing, it's really hard A to be good at it and it's really hard to have it as a continual growing brand without that love.
1: Yeah, I agree for for sure. I mean, I, I agree with all of it. There are a couple of things that really stuck out for me the most, I guess. And you know, chaos, I think, is understanding that there's always going to be chaos in business and embracing that. I it makes me think of control, what you can control and let the rest go. Right? Uh, because you're never going to be able to control everything that's going on in your organization. But if you control what you can control, you're going to find a way to solve the problem, like you said uh, earlier. And then the other thing is not to over plan, right? I mean, you would think that as a financial planner, that that would be completely opposite of, of what I would believe. But the reality is, I'm a big believer from a business standpoint that your business plan, your annual business plan should be one page and it's got to be able to be changed, but it's something that's quick. It's concise. There's just a few things there on the business side. There's a few things there on the personal side and then the tactics and strategies and actions that you're going to use to complete those plans for the year. And if it needs to be changed partway through the year, then change it partway through the year. But one page, easy to read, quick to look at, and available and able to be seen very quickly inside of your office on a daily basis so that you're constantly focused on that plan. But don't overthink it. Just make it simple and, and just you know keep moving forward, so to speak.
2: The greatest educator of our time, of our life, is not Harvard, not MIT. It's Sesame Street and the reason sesame street is the reason everything is super simple it's the square the circle the triangle the red blue the yellow and if you can't have your business plan on sesame street and have big bird explain your business plan it's too complicated because everything should be thought of as bullet points as post-it notes as very very simple things because um, it gives you that flexibility for a lot of movement within there but it also helps it stick Um, What I always tell people is explain it to you, a fifth grader, and then have the fifth grader explain it to somebody else. If that fifth grader can't explain what you just explained to somebody else, then it's too complicated.
1: Yeah. Agreed. hundred percent. So you go through this organization, you build it up to a nice organization, you pivot, you know, even during COVID and figure out a way to, to, you know, make lemons or make lemonade out of lemons, so to speak with what you were just handed and what's going on. Then you decide Why not write a book? Tell us about that. Why why did you decide you needed to write a book? What what was the driving force behind that? Well,
2: I guess there was this underlying arrogance that people wanted to hear my biography. Everyone told me, hey, Zach, you got to write a book. You've done some crazy stuff. And as I sat down with my editor, he's like, I hate to break the news to you, but nobody cares about your autobiography other than your mom and your wife. He's like what's the story what is the story of your life not you personally but what you've learned and let's tell a story about it and then weave your your examples through that and what i realized was this concept of the warrior's journey something that i've been very attracted to as a very young kid you know we would have a, a woods and i want to walk through the toughest trail in the woods to get to the place where my friends would just walk through the grass. But when I got through there, I know I worked harder and I hit the harder route and it made me feel stronger and better. So how could I adapt that? And so what I started doing was coming up with this example of what the crucible is, an example of how adversity can help shape and then started to come up with these different traits. And, and I got most of it done and I got the chance to read it and it really sucked. It was not good at all. And then I had these uh that I was going to be run for um, office. And then I had the misfortune of actually getting elected to public office. And at that point in time, I consumed most of my free time. So I just put the book on hold. Then all of a sudden, this thing COVID comes in that I wasn't obviously taking very serious. I think it was a big deal. And next thing you know, I'm dying. I spent two weeks in the ICU, um, double lung pneumonia, stopped breathing three times had a true true near-death experience where i was falling down the black tunnel i could see myself outside of the body and it was horrible um and i started posting on facebook very long lengthy posts because i knew i wasn't going to make it and um you know even the my wife being a doctor was telling my family hey we got to prepare ourselves this isn't going to work out and as soon as i obviously licked it and, and beat it i'm like okay God has given me another opportunity here. I got to do this, and I just put everything I could into writing this book. I finished the book. I start reading the first twenty pages. I'm like, again, not good. But when you work through the editorial process, I had five different editors that would just massage the book and didn't really add anything. They took a lot of stuff out. They repositioned, typed the chapters, and I got done. I'm like this book's great. And the first couple of weeks it came out, I hit uh, bestseller status in about five different categories in about six different countries on Amazon. So it's been really exciting for me to share and hopefully inspire other people that, that adversity that they had in their life, that they may be uh, embarrassed about, or maybe you're still going to therapy because of something that happened when they were a little kid. Let's turn that around and use that as a benefit to help grow. And the book was originally written for entrepreneurs. It's not an entrepreneurial book. It's a book for anybody that wants to accomplish great things in their life and and conquer those things that kind of held them back in the past.
1: So just tell us the title of the book real quick and best place
2: to find it. Sure, so Anywhere Books Are Sold, Warrior Entrepreneur is the name of the book, Lessons from the Battlefield to the Boardroom. The best option would be to go to my website. It's warriorentrepreneurbook.com. And Austin is a, a special gift to your listeners. If they type in the word podcast 2021, podcast 2021, they'll get it for 50% off. And I'm more than happy to do an inscription in either the paperback or the hardbound book form.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I look forward to, to reading it myself, actually. I should have read it prior to the, the podcast, but uh, I'll definitely read it afterwards and I'll, I'll let you know what I thought. Great. And even got an audio book if you don't want to read. <laughs> well i do know how to read just so we're clear but i do listen to uh books on audible so maybe i maybe i will go that direction because I, it's it allows me to listen to it while i'm running or doing something else active which i appreciate because i'm actually re-listening right now to built to last which i think is a great, great great book um and i i'm listening to it right on the hills of good to great so i mean those are those are two books that i read probably for the first time. I'll bet it was in business school, actually. So probably 2006, 2007-ish is when I read those and haven't read them again since. So those are those were good ones to go back and listen to again.
2: You know, I joke about the audio book, but the reality is once I get about 10 pages into reading the written book, um, I, I can't read it because I'm still editing it. I'm still trying to change this thing out. But when you listen to the audiobook, you can kind of just check out and really absorb what the message is rather than the individual words me listening to my book on audiobook just gave me a completely different perspective than actually
1: reading the the pages yeah i'll definitely i'll definitely go and do that so we've only got a few minutes left so I'll, I'll turn it over to you i mean we can talk about what it is that you've learned from you know the marine corps and firefighting if you'd like or you can i'll leave it i'll leave it up to you on on what you'd like to talk about in the last few minutes that we've got
2: i I think it really sums it up with um an amazing lecture by simon sinek most people have seen this probably the number one ted talk out there and it's just the power of why you know a lot of people focus on what they do some people focus on how they do it but the ones that focus on the why and i would just ask that if you have a business focus on the why focus on the community that you're serving rather than the individual product itself Focus on that solution that you're solving because there's a why behind that solution that you want to do. And that's really what we'll, we'll get out there. The, the last thing I'll leave behind and you hit on the two, entrepreneurship is brutal. You know, everyone sees the pictures of the Ferraris and the nice cars. Well, guess what? You get paid last. You will have to be comfortable with other people making more money than you at the company you created in order to get to that area. And um, I guess one of my favorite quotes, and I'm sure I'll butcher it, but entrepreneurs live several years of their lives like most people couldn't imagine so they can live the rest of their life like most people never could.
1: Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right because there are there are some very very dark years that you have to kind of work through. And you know, I I remember getting started myself and credit card debt and you know pulling money out of the house, all those kinds of things to try to get started. And and you know, when I first started, I didn't even own a home, and so I didn't have that to go to. All I had was credit cards and my good credit and you know my ability to to work hard and, and work through it. But it does get better, of course. But you've got to be a, a special person and have a special personality to be able to to push through you know you you call it that warrior mindset and and I agree with you 100% you've got to be able to to push through the hard things to ultimately get to that dream ending that you're looking for
2: you got it
1: yeah i don't have a ferrari yet i i'm still working towards that and i don't know actually I, I don't know if that's something i'll ever end up buying but i i do love cars i've got a 1976 mini cooper that i just love to drive it's a lot of fun and then I've got a 1988, so first generation Toyota 4Runner that's just an off-road beast, and that's that's, that's where I like to spend my money.
2: That's when they had the steel bumpers before they plasticized everything. So that 4 is fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a quite a truck, and it's a lot of fun. So. I'll tell you what, Zachary, I've really enjoyed uh, the conversation. I I look forward to listening to the book, look forward to staying in touch with you. And I appreciate you being willing to come on our podcast and and share your story. Likewise, Austin.
2: And I appreciate what you're doing for our, our fellow entrepreneurs and fellow people out there that want
1: to try to find something a little more out of life. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for being here.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals, specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners.